Have you heard of the Torah coming out of Berlin? There's always something bubbling beneath the surface here. A Torah bursting to get out, a new way of seeing the world in Yiddishkeit and our collective future. And sometimes this Torah comes out in commentaries on the Talmud and other times in community building. But for this season, we want to explore how this Torah comes out through art. What is the Torah of creation, of taking an idea in your soul and putting it on canvas or into an album or performance? What are the words deep inside of you that you must put onto the page? And what are the stories, the experiences that drive you to create it? What is a Jewish artist? What is Jewish art? What is the art of the Torah that is the fabric of our lives? So come and learn. Welcome to Torah Curious. Hello, and welcome back to Torah Curious. I'm your host, Jeremy Borbitz, and we are here with the award-winning author, <laughs> the famed Donna Fovinkel. Donna, thank you for joining us. You're uh, very welcome. <laughs> um. Cool. Donna, I wonder if we could start out by having you tell us about your earliest Jewish memory. Um, of course. I came prepared, obviously, because I'm a listener of Torah <laughs> Curious as well, and uh, I actually have two memories which are kind of opposed because one memory is not really memory but more like a feeling which is Frankelufer mm. um, which is the synagogue that my dad took me to when I was little and my earliest Jew- Jewish memory is um, back in the day when I was the only child at Frankelufer which is very different than now where there are a lot of children you would not only get like a little treat um, when you when you were there on Friday evening but you would get a a big bag of sweets wow and chewing gum cigarettes and (laughs) my earliest childhood memory connected to judaism is chewing gum cigarettes um so i thought that that was normal i thought that that was what you did on shabbos you went to shul and you got um a ton of sweets that would carry you through the week until you went again and you would get you know a fresh stash so this is so fascinating <laughs> on two levels. First off, I want to say, believe it or not, you are the first person on this podcast mm-hmm. whose earliest Jewish memory was at Frank Luther. That's very easy for me to believe because it was so empty. <laughs> <laughs> I think I was like the only Jewish kid in Kreuzberg, probably. Wow, well, well, probably. <laughs> um, but I also love I love that imagery of like the weird things we associate. You just mm-hmm. assume like, oh, that's a Jewish thing. Mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. chewing gum i don't even know mm-hmm. it's like a it looks like a cigarette but it's chewing gum yeah and then you like puff and like the you can like puff it and i think they put like flour in it or something i think at this point it's illegal my dad hated it obviously because like you know that's like the cigarette lobby coming in at five-year-olds yeah. <laughs> it's, it's totally messed up um and then you could like unwrap it and i think there was chewing gum inside wow um and Shabbos. you know yeah. snickers we got snickers and chocobongs and all all the you know all the german kinder chocolate stuff yeah um why why do you think it was important for your dad to bring you there um i think my dad is a pretty secular guy, I would say, especially because he grew up in a family that was so obviously Jewish and where, you know, being Jewish was not a big deal. Like, you were Jewish and they kept kosher and, you know, they. my grandfather was a scholar of Jewish history, so everything was very Jewish. And I don't think he brought a lot of that into our household. Like, we didn't 
strictly keep Shabbos or any of that, but, you know, like instilling some sense of Jewish identity in me, I think was super important to him. And maybe also like a home away from home. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, coming to Berlin in the 90s from Israel as an American guy, that must have, I can only imagine how that must have felt because I'm at home in a super vibrant Jewish community. But that was, you know, that was like 10 Holocaust survivors were the minyan at Frankelhofer. And um, I think for him that that was super important. And I think it kind of worked because, you know, I decided to to do my Giyu when I was 10. Like wow. it was for me, it was very clear that that was where I belonged. And I think that Frankelufer has always been like a, a kind of magical place, even before what has started happening there, you know, like. Wow. What tell me about this magic mm-hmm. that you experienced there as a child. And I know you have mm-hmm. another Jewish memory, so maybe you want to I can that save that. that. <laughs> okay, great. We'll save it. That's much shorter. Okay, try to describe what uh-huh. was it to you that was so magical about it as a child? Mm, aside from the chocolate, I, yeah. <laughs> I really like chocolate. Um, I think this sense of that it, I don't I don't know the English word. The German word is selbstverständlich. Like it was not not selbstverständlich that self-conscious or yeah or nobody took that for granted mm-hmm. nobody took frank Lufer for granted ever because the odds were so against the community like you know even today there it's there's sometimes a struggle to find a minion and mm-hmm. um it's such a tiny place even like the synagogue itself is compared to what it was is tiny and I think like, you know, the garden and it's it's a special synagogue in a way. It's very exposed. Like, yeah. you know, a lot of synagogues, especially in Germany, are behind closed doors. And I think Frankelhofer kind of, you know, opening up onto the canal, so in the middle of the Keats that I grew up in, um, has always felt like a kind of haven. Wow. Even if I, you know, I don't go for months. Like, I know it's there and it's always been there. Wow. And I think that's a really beautiful thing about Frank Hoover, especially since it's also very, very open to basically strangers coming in, which is not, which is also not something that I'm used to from other synagogues that you can just basically, if you have an idea on you, you can walk in yeah. and you're welcome. And I think that's, especially in like the 90s Berlin, where you would be treated like, um, you know, like a total intruder if you your native language wasn't German, for instance, or wow. if you tried ordering something at a restaurant. Like, there was no service culture. The city was bleak and gray, basically, and this, this place that was always, you know, full of light. Wow. I think that that's really what... Um, I get emotional speaking about it because it's, you know, it's, it's, it's a special place, I think. It's yeah. made special by the people, obviously, but it, I think it also... There is a sense of history in the synagogue. It also yeah. must be amazing because so few of the people who were there when you were a kid are probably not there anymore. I mean, it's like mm-hmm. a, it's a place that has gone mul- undergone multiple mm-hmm. transformations. Mm-hmm. I mean, not just one. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Wow. Let's can we talk a little bit about growing up Jewish in Kreuzberg in the 90s? <laughs> like, <that laughs> sure. <was> fun. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think that that ties in pretty well with my second first <laughs> Jewish memory, which is lighting candles with my grandparents at the Ritz on Potsdamer Platz on Hanukkah. Wow. And I'm not even sure if that's a memory or if I remember it from the photo that yeah. exists because it's me next to uh, all the candles. It's the last day of Hanukkah. And I think that symbolizes such a different side of it, which is 
my American grandparents um, coming to Germany for the first time in their life for their German granddaughter, yeah. who is who has a German mother, yeah. German, not very Christian, but Christian mother, not a Jewish mother, um, to visit their their son in Berlin in the in the city that I think to them must have felt like scorched earth, and wow. I think that's that's that kind of ties in really well with like you know growing up Jewish in Kreuzberg is like lighting candles at the Ritz. And I, I think that that to them felt like a piece of America because it's such a, you know, hotels are such, you know, neutral places in yeah. a way. That's interesting. Yeah. How did your American family respond? We'll get to Kreuzberg in uh-huh. a second. I won't uh-huh. forget. But I'm also interested, mm-hmm. like, how did your American family respond to your father's choice to live here? Um... You know what? That's a really good question, and I think I would have to ask him that. I think my my father lived in Jerusalem for a long time before that, and he's lived in Paris, and I think he, you know, and he's, he's lived in New York, and I think there was never really, like, a sense of instilled in the family of you have to be someplace. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it made a lot of sense because my father studied Paul Celan for a long time and wrote his dissertation on Celan, and... Um, I think it was kind of an obvious choice to go to Germany, basically f- because of my mother, um, who's German. And um, I think my grandparents pretty much accepted it. They visited a couple of times. My grandfather came to my bat mitzvah oh, wow. at Oranienburger Straße. Um, I think there it must have been difficult. I can't imagine that not being difficult, especially, you know, Many of their friends were were uh, Holocaust survivors. It was you know completely different world, like yeah. Chicagoans. They they're they're true Chicagoans, and I think that you know Germany seemed like such a faraway right. place. You even said it, Chicagoans. I consider myself a bit of a Chicagoan. <laughs> um, yeah, maybe that is something that I should ask my grandmother when I visit um, <laughs> yeah. what that felt like. I think that's something that as a child I I didn't understand at all. Wow. And, you know, like the last two years really cut into growing up, I think, for especially my generation, where at some point in the beginning of your 20s, you begin to realize that your identity is embedded in history and that yeah. wow. history didn't end at some point, but that I'm still the product of it in a way. And I think wow. that... That's a really interesting question to, you know, ask my family yeah. and write down. Yeah. And you're also a product of Kreuzberg, which brings us back yeah. to the other question. <laughs> like, um, first off, I, I, yeah. before I go to Kreuzberg, like you just said something. You actually just quoted Torah, which is amazing. And I just want to point it out. But it's actually Pirkei Avot. Damien bata Lech. Like know mm-hmm. from where you came and where you're going. Mm-hmm. And uh, Rebecca's grandfather, Zaidi, mm-hmm. always used to say, it, you can't if you don't know where you came from, you can't know where you're mm-hmm. going, mm-hmm. which is sort of his perush, his interpretation mm-hmm. of Pirkei Avot. Mm-hmm. And I think that's also kind of like what you're talking about at this moment. Mm-hmm. You know, this thing, this like uh, mm-hmm. stunted growth mm-hmm. for a whole generation. Like they didn't get the chance to they haven't had the chance. Mm-hmm. They lost two years of diving into their roots. Totally. The past totally they locked inside. Mm-hmm. Locked inside, not getting, not being able to travel, being scared of infecting grandparents who might yeah. hold precious memories. Um, I think all that, and I think that's that also ties in very well with with writing and you know trying to write about roots in a way that that makes sense to an audience. And that's 
that's a struggle i think always and super super interesting and yeah um something that you can i think there's you can never f- fully know where you came from exactly in the same way that you can never fully know where you where you're going and yeah. that's that's i mean that's a gift too that that means that there's a lifetime of discovering who you are and and where you came from and wow. i mean that 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 being said i think that that it's super important especially for for me understanding and acknowledging that in my case the german side of the family i, I come from you know i have a nazi ab i i come wow. from i have nazi roots and wow. i think that my great grandparents or my great great grandparents would not have liked the product wow. um in me and i think that that's i think that's something that's super important to confront in oneself is that there's always ambivalence and there's always ambiguity in in who you are and where you come from and I I would much rather only talk about the Jewish side of where I come from because that's easier but obviously there's there are other there are difficulties to to confront too in in being wow Jewish in a very cosmopolitan world I guess That's so heavy. <laughs> yeah. When did you learn about that? How old were you? I always kind of figured um I had a, the first real conversation I had about that which was painful too was um, in Tel Aviv with my mother, who took me on a trip um, to Israel when I was 21. And I asked her and she answered. And I still was pretty shocked in hearing, you know, the details, um, which, I mean, obviously, there is a huge moral question behind that, that I can't judge. Like, you know, how bad was it? Um, there are entnazifizierungs, um akten basically you know that that state that you know where everybody was raided and my great grandfathers were also raided in like categories and um they were both members of the party um and my mom's a historian which also means that she she had a very honest way of you know telling me about it and um that's when i really you know actually listened to it and i think that's something that i tried to ignore for a long time as well um when did you start yeah. writing I, I, I i've never not written wow. okay. <laughs> i i've started i started writing very early um and i started writing more seriously a couple of years ago and um then i started writing the novel the day after my grandfather died wow kind of as like a way of processing it so that's like the first bigger project that i've taken on which is the novel i'm working on right now which um, will be published next year (laughs) this is (laughs) this is a short ad intermission (laughs) um Uh, yeah wow okay um there's so many things i want to ask you i'm like (laughs) lost let's like take a minute to talk about kreuzberg as a kid and like growing up Mm -hmm. jewish in kreuzberg Mm -hmm. like what was that like for you did you have any mm-hmm. Jewish friends? I had no Jewish friends until my bat mitzvah class, which is when I met um, Sarah and Louisa Mayachuk, who oh, are still wow. um, close friends of mine, who are wonderful, wonderful people. And that um, it's also it's very interesting that you said them mm-hmm. because they also had this whole like they were spending summers in the U.S. Like exactly. Also an American Camp Ramah. Yeah, Camp Ramah. I refused. Yeah. <laughs> I was supposed to go with them. I totally refused. I saw no way well, um, of doing that, which 
I, I, I regret a bit, but on the I think I was just like, you know, a shy, homesick kid. So yeah. <laughs> that was probably good. But my dad went to Camp Ramah, so he kind of pushed oh, me to do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's the, you know, the Jewish circle always closes somewhere. <laughs> yeah. So sorry um, I interrupted you. So until you went to class, you had no Jewish friends? No. Um, Did you tell your friends that you, you were Jewish? No. I think it was always pretty clear to me that that was something that you don't really talk about um like my close friends obviously knew um my one of my still best friends actually this is a hilarious story and I'm very embarrassed by it and it's amazing that my dad actually let me do that but um she came to me came with me to high holiday services because I didn't want to go alone at uh when I was like eight or nine um so she like Without us knowing that that was, like, a pretty radical thing to do, she just, like, sat there with me. And so she knows, like, what a Jewish service looks like. And she knows what a wow. synagogue looks like from the inside because we were children. And I was like, this is not weird at all. Obviously, Geisha's coming with me. Um, so That's an amazing – what an experience to give her as well. Yeah. I, I don't think she's <laughs> she ever <laughs> forgot about that. Um, but otherwise – I didn't really speak about it. I think my dad was very clear on, has like never lied to me about anti-Semitism. Yeah. Um, and I, my my parents separated when I was very little. And I grew up really in two different households, which was a Jewish household and a non-Jewish household. So I wow. basically kind of switched back and forth every day because I, you know, we had like a day-by-day system. So um, I basically grew up 50 50 and i think that that was for a long time kind of my solving my own jewish identity was like well i'm not entirely jewish i'm not you know there i'm also something else which i think is still true but i i feel very strongly jewish now and i think that's i went to non-jewish schools obviously um and you know i think that's a huge question that you ask yourself as a parent like do i put myself do i put my child in like i don't know security on, you know, and under security threat basically at all times, or um, does my child have to hide something? And I think um, for me that worked pretty well until high school. And then people kind of started finding out and that got unpleasant. Wow. Um, but I think that was Let's Kreuzberg, which is um, interesting because, you know, like considering like we went to shul every couple of weeks. Um, we, I think we had a mezuzah on the door and nobody really cared. Like, that was never, like, the big deal. Like, Kreuzberg, I think it was more, like, the school environment, which was very, like, you know, as they called it back then, multi-culti. Yeah. But I think, like, nobody thought about Jews in that setting. Yeah. Like, that's just something that, like, I don't know, nobody's Jewish. Yeah. <laughs> like, why would anyone be Jewish? Like, the they're dead why would you be here yeah yeah why 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 would you and then you know the only thing that every german knows about jews is you're not jewish if your mother isn't jewish so then Mm -hmm. like if anybody found out or like teachers or something they would be like well but your mother isn't jewish right so you're not really jewish Wow. and i think that that really which is great it's absurd because what you (laughs) always want is germans questioning your jewish exactly explaining it's like (laughs) jew-splaining you know like goy-splaining yes exactly um Wow. Yeah. So I think that was. I mean, I don't. I don't feel bitter about it. Do you I feel think, like you experienced anti-Semitism, or like what? How would you qualify what it was you went mm-hmm. through in high school? Oh, that was anti-Semitism. Wow. That was like definitely 
uh, people telling me like horrible jokes, jokes, you know, like yeah. uh, my grandfather died in the cut set. Uh, he fell off the watchtower, um, things like that. You know, like really like, um, and I think that I kind of, I think that's what teenagers do. And I thought like in order to get through that, or I thought like if the best way to go through it is, you know, go through it and then just laugh about it. And I think I kind of enabled that by never being hurt or never saying like, dude, that's not funny, but just wow. being like, okay, yeah, whatever. I think it's very similar actually. And that's, I think is the reason why I'm still so close to Sarah and Louise, um, for instance, is that they also went to a West Berlin um, gymnasium that yeah, was... Multiculti gymnasium. Exactly. Yeah. Or actually very white. Like our schools, I went to a French bilingual school that was really like, you know, white. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I think, like, you know, Yuda was definitely a, um, um, an insult. Yeah. And I think, like, really coming to terms with Jewish, being Jewish and that being totally normal was my year in New York. Wow. When I realized, like, this doesn't have to be a big deal. How old were you? 18. And then I came back to Berlin and I started going to Frankfurt. Wow. Um, what, what did you do in that year in New York? I worked at a theater company, cool. Labyrinth Theater Company, cool. as an intern. That was super cool. And I worked for, um, this is like a long whole story. My dad went to college with an actor whose name is Eric Bogosian. And I was his personal assistant for almost a year. And cool. Eric is the best. He's super cool. He has... Um, an incredibly interesting life to look back on. He has a wonderful wife and uh, kids. And uh, he got me the job at lab at the theater company. And he was just like, okay, and now you can come to set with me. And I don't know, go run to the, get the dry cleaning. And I did archival work for him and um, stuff like that. And I, yeah, that was my year in New York. And I kind of realized like, oh, Jews are everywhere here. Like that it's totally wow. normal. It's fine. You don't have to care about it. It's not like a big, I don't know, Baustelle. It's just there. <laughs> yeah. It's so fascinating mm -hmm. and powerful because it's also, I think what, um, when we first came at least, like what a lot of people noticed about us mm -hmm. is how New York we were with our Judaism. <laughs> not being afraid. It's kind of oblivious. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, definitely oblivious. Not oblivious anymore. <laughs> Spoiler Sadly, alert. I mean, yeah. oblivion can be very blissful. Yeah, yeah. But um, just yeah. this, the brashness, yeah. you know, the like, the deep sense that this is normal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Wow. Totally, and that joking about it is normal, and that being conflicted about it is normal, and um, I think that my especially my childhood through my childhood I, I was kind of confused in what being Jewish actually means because my dad is super Jewish he's yeah. like the most Jewish dude you can imagine but my dad is not super religious like mm. he goes to shul I, he, from time to time um, he was very concerned with me learning Hebrew that was very important to him and to my grandparents um, but you know, other things. I don't know. He uses his phone on Shabbos. Like, I didn't know people didn't use their phones on Shabbos. Yeah. You know, like, and that's totally fine. And I always thought, like, if I also want to be Jewish, I have to 
I don't know, um, keep kosher at all times and uh, keep the Shabbos and, you know, like be a religious Jew because I don't know what being a cultural Jew is like. And I think that there's so many intersections and that's kind of where the magic happens at those intersections. And um, I think that that I realized in New York, like I can choose my own Judaism. Um, And that that's not always super comfortable. Like you still have to reflect and you have to work on yourself, but it's, um, but you get to do that and you should get to wear a kippah on the street and, I wear a Star of David on the Zonnali and all the Germans get super excited about it. Like, you know, walking into a chicken coop and you just have to tell them that that's my choice. Yeah. And that that's, you know, if I want to do that, I want to do that. Yeah. 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 I walk with a kippah on Zonnali. It's interesting. Yeah. It's, I, I bet it's not always fun. <laughs> it's not always fun. Sometimes it's beautiful. I have mm-hmm. to say, sometimes it is so beautiful and sometimes it's really hard. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think I and most of the time it's nothing. Mm-hmm. Like I gotta mm-hmm. say, ninety percent of the time it's nothing. Mm-hmm. And there are hard moments and there are beautiful moments. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, I love that it's like it, it's at the the, the difficult points mm-hmm. is where it is. That's mm-hmm. the magic. Mm-hmm. That's the thing. Mm-hmm. It's when mm-hmm. you get these conflicts that you're like, wow, mm-hmm. something is mm-hmm. happening to me. Mm-hmm. Totally. Wow. Yeah. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about the book and what the book is about? And then we're going to get to your tour. I can. <laughs> um, my novel is about Margarita, who is 15 and um, whose father is a cantor in a Berlin synagogue, wow. in an undisclosed Berlin synagogue. Um, and but is closely modeled after Frank Nassar. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to conflict no any real comment. life canters yeah. Yeah, here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, that's that, for example, is something that I steer totally clear of uh, yeah. talking to like German newspapers, you know, non-Jewish newspapers. Yeah, yeah, just yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is then, a non-topic. Yeah, because yeah. they yeah. also don't understand, like, I think for the Germans to a mm-hmm. certain extent, like Jewish life is a novel. Mm-hmm. So it's like if you oh, were totally. a, a novel about Jewish life, it must mm-hmm. also be reflective of the reality. Mm-hmm. But like, I can understand that you're writing a novel which mm-hmm. is based on your experience and mm-hmm. memories and stuff. Mm-hmm. But it's also, it's not, you're not writing a history mm-hmm. of Frank Louver in the 90s. Exactly. It's yeah. fiction. It's, it's fiction. fiction. <laughs> maybe it's a synagogue in a place where there is no synagogue because maybe sure. in my fiction, that's where the synagogue stands. And yeah. maybe, you know, I mean, obviously I think you, you always grab things and like the conflicts in the synagogue that I'm writing about, I, I yeah. think resemble those of Frank Lufer because that's a conflict that many, many synagogues are going through, yeah. which is, you know, um, what, what, I don't know, what do we do with the women? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and the novel follows um, both Margarita and her father through a summer. And um, he is the sole parent, basically, of Margarita because the mother left when she was very young. Wow. And so the novel kind of tries to solve the mystery of why, why the mother left. Wow. Um, the cantor is Israeli and lives in Berlin with his daughter, and the mother is American. Wow. And um, the mother and the daughter take a road trip through Israel while the cantor stays in Berlin and um, kind of reflects on, on life as a, as a single parent, which I think is for me is very important is kind of that aspect that's very that's not just jewish you know that's a universal question like single fathers are i think top is it they're a topic that doesn't come up very often in in literature 
And I think that's super interesting. And wow. and it's about his relationship to a prayer and to God and to Torah. Wow. And um, I'm studying Torah very intensely. I'm studying the Siddur very intensely, which, which is very fun because, you know, it's um, the prayers that he he leads his congregation through. Almost all of them are in the Siddur. So, you know, yeah. um, that's beautiful and I extremely enriching like the whole process of writing it is i'm learning so much about um jewish thought jewish prayer about my own identity um and i started writing it because my grandfather passed away last year no Mm -hmm. the year before last we're in 22 now um he passed away in december 2020 um and he was a scholar of Jewish history and of Jewish thought and um, he instilled I think in his entire family um, the notion that knowledge is always power Hmm. uh, but also you have to know where you come from just like what you said Um, and I think working on this novel is an amazing way to kind of I don't know um catch up with time and with him and what what he thought about um and i haven't i haven't even been to his grave and i think like writing this entire novel has been very cleansing in a way because it makes me feel connected to someone that i i never got to say goodbye to um so yeah that's that's the novel (laughs) it's so you know and it's also there's so much there um, but I, I just I feel like we should transition to the, your Torah mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. your Torah I think is from your grandfather. You mm-hmm. It it ties in directly with with what <laughs> I just said. Cool. Yes, um, I feel like I'm talking a mile a minute. Let me you're know ta- if I'm too you're quick. You're doing great. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't you. she doing great, listeners? <laughs> yeah. Great. <laughs> you can give me five stars <laughs> afterwards. <laughs> um, Wait, you can rate this? No, sorry. I think you can now rate podcasts on Spotify. You can. Rate you this can. five stars, please, guys. Every single episode. Yeah, or at least a few. Um, sorry. So I believe you have some Torah to share with us. I have some Torah to share. Um, I would like to speak about Parsha Vayichi, um, wow. which is the last Parsha in Genesis um, and is the Parsha that um, we would have read in synagogue the week that my grandfather died, but didn't because we did not have synagogue services at the time. Um, So I read it at home, and I know that uh, in that time, I I got a huge amount of support from the Jewish community in Berlin. Um, Everybody at base, um, everybody at Frank Lufer, I've never felt so, it felt like, you know, being being wrapped in a digital blanket. Mm-hmm. Everybody was far apart and um, nobody could see each other. But um, coming back to that parsha now was was um, kind of made sense to me because it, it is about roots. And um, something very important happens in parsha Vaichi, which is that it's the only parsha in which um, somebody the only parsha in the entire Torah in which uh, in which grandchildren are blessed by their grandfather, yeah. which oh, is that wow. Yaakov wow. blesses his grandsons, Ephraim and Manasseh, on his deathbed. And Yaakov has lived 147 years, which is not, my grandfather did not live quite as long, but he turned 93. So um, wow. I think 
that is like, you know, maybe the non-biblical <laughs> 147 years. And um, I think that's, that's really a beautiful moment. Um, and I think that what Rabbi Jonathan Sachs wrote about that also ties in really well with what I, with what my association was with this and with how important it is that um, it was really the, the only instance in which grandchildren are blessed in the Torah is that um, there's always tension between parents and children. I don't think anybody has a relationship to their parents that is entirely easy and uncomplicated. But with grandparents, there is something much, you know, much less conflicted or difficult. And um, there can be, you know, pure love. I think I think that that can exist between parents and their children, too. And I think that... But it takes you know, some work, usually. Yeah. And um, parents are usually the ones raising the children. And yeah. grandparents aren't. And um, I've always felt... Um, that my grandparents on all of all of sides on both sides of the family have given me pure love um, and I think that that was something that I it ties in very well with the story I was telling about you know growing up in Germany with American grandparents and my grandfather being such an influence um, so yeah and then um, further on in the parasha um, Yaakov blesses his 12 sons um, at the same time. And that's also really important because the, what we read the next week already is Exodus. And that's the first time that um, the Israelites are described as a people. And it wow. happens exactly after Yaakov blessing his children. Wow. Um, and... I think that's like the two most important things that I, I would take from that parsha, and I think that's so beautiful. And um, I don't think that's something I'll, I'll forget for the rest of my life. You know, you yeah. mentioned before this thing that was so powerful, and it like struck me, it choked me up a little, just that like not being able to say goodbye. Because it's also, um, Parshat Vayachi is also a deep goodbye. Mm-hmm. I mean, Yaakov and then Yosef, they both get to say goodbye. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's like the privilege to be able to say goodbye. Mm-hmm. It's a privilege that like so many of our ancestors didn't have. Mm-hmm. And it's a privilege that like so many of us lost in the last mm-hmm. two years. Mm-hmm. And something that we never thought we would lose. Like it, it feels like such a random way of not getting to say goodbye. Yeah. And... um I don't see that Zoom funeral as a goodbye. You know, that, that was definitely not a goodbye. That yeah. was excruciating. Um, but I think that what I can see as a goodbye and in a beautiful way and as, as a blessing um, is that, that parasha and the life that my grandfather le- led and that he shared with me and that he shared wow. with me uh, in a very dedicated way. And, you know, him. he was already very old when my bat mitzvah, um, took place and he came to Berlin for that and I think that that was you know this this old man old Jewish man who mm. was alive when and who, who was able to read the news when America realized what was happening in Germany coming to Germany for that to hear his grandf- 
father granddaughter read Torah. I think yeah, that was wow. really really um, full circle with that parsha. And my my bat mitzvah parsha was was only two weeks earlier. So that also oh, wow. you know Mikis. it's kind of part of the whole <laughs> whole story. Yeah. Do you think there's a way for you to say goodbye to your grandfather? Mm, I think that the last trip I took to Chicago, I knew that it might be the last. Mm. Um, and I think that there is a certain kind of sense in a Jewish funeral, which is very swift. And, it you know, it just takes place. And you basically know that you might miss it if you're overseas. Wow. Um, and... I didn't know a pandemic was coming, obviously, <laughs> but I knew that his death was coming at some point. Um, yeah. And I think that I managed to find a goodbye in a way in in my last trip, which um, actually my mom also joined me on, um, mm. who has always had a very good relationship to my American grandparents, which is um, great. And she had a conference in Chicago when my dad was visiting his parents, and then they decided to just bring me to. Um, so that was kind of our goodbye together. And there's like a group photo of all of us. And I think that, wow. and he's holding my hand like wow. really strongly. And, um, uh, I think that was goodbye. I think like what's the most painful part of it to me is that, um, my partner will never get to meet him. And, wow. um, I'm very glad that we're, that we're going to the States soon so that he can meet my grandmother. Wow. Um, but I think that's something, you know, that's part of life. Um, and it's part of what shapes us. But I think that that's, that's definitely like a huge loss in the whole thing. Also because my partner isn't Jewish, which is also, <laughs> you know, an interesting combina combination, yeah. um, a very classic combination <laughs> these days. And um, I think kind of being able to, sh ha I miss not having been being been able to show him um who all of this came from yeah you know yeah i feel that so deeply also because mm -hmm. like um i was very close with my grandmother mm -hmm. and i would say she's one of the people who probably shaped me most in my life and mm -hmm. just like my choices and like mm -hmm. everything i did mm -hmm. and um she was still alive when rebecca came around mm -hmm. but she was already deep in dementia mm -hmm. um mm -hmm. and it was always so hard for me that it's like you don't understand this was the most alive sharp woman you mm -hmm. would ever meet in your life mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and it's like i always felt like how am i gonna help rebecca understand who she mm -hmm. was mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and why that was even so important to me mm -hmm. because it was like if you don't understand her you can't understand me exactly yeah Totally. Um, and I think that's no photos or stories will make up for that. You know, that's that's something that that one has to keep to oneself. I think for me, writing is, a, is like the perfect vehicle. Mm. Um, I feel like um, prayer can also be amazing for that. Wow. Um, like deeply personal prayer and talking about it and, you know, talking about it with I don't know if you talk about her with, with Hindi and with Tila, for instance, but I can imagine that that, that gives yeah. you also, that, that gives Rebecca a different side of it because it's you telling your children about, you know, who shaped you. And I think... I also yeah. think it's so interesting that you started this 
book sort of once your grandfather died mm-hmm. because we also I mean we've talked about these like the the tension points mm-hmm. you know and what they bring mm-hmm. out in us that it was something mm-hmm. about you um, it's almost as if mm-hmm. like you lost this part of your past and so mm-hmm. the writing it almost sounds like is like um, a way to root mm-hmm. yourself in the past totally I think it's the most meaningful and um, purposeful th- thing I've done in my life wow. and I'm 25 so I haven't done a lot I know that but um, still that's saying I've, something um it's it's hard obviously writing a book is hard but i feel super connected to my grandfather because that you know he didn't write fiction but he wrote books that was what he did for a living and i um he worked until he couldn't work anymore so he rode his bike when he was um 83 he would get on his bicycle and um ride to campus from his house on blackstone avenue in hyde park and i would visit him in my lunch breaks um or after after summer school because I went to summer school every year in the um, at the University of Chicago Lab School, and um, which is also where Obama's children went to <laughs> summer school. <laughs> this is like the Hyde Park thing. You always have to mention Obama once yeah, when you talk yeah, about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And he would be surrounded by scrolls and you know books and everything like in Hebrew and Aramaic, and he knew how to read Aramaic fluently, and wow. he he was a true scholar, and I think like. Uh, diving so deep into Jewish text for this novel is like exactly what it needs for me to kind of grasp everything. Um, wow. And I think that's super interesting because we were speaking about like what I would talk about with like non-Jewish journalists and this is like something that feels so intimate that I would like, you know, dive really like studying Torah is something very emotional and even just studying a psalm intensely, like thinking about it day and night and thinking about all the ways that it could have meaning. Like that's that's something that's so reserved for me to, you know, talking about with Jews that it feels like very weird and um, kind of dangerous to like put it out into the open. But I know that yeah. my grandfather did that all the time. Wow. So that's, I think that's fuel. I mean, obviously, like, I don't think you have to find something good in every situation, but... I think that's the good that came out of out of his passing away. Wow. So many things. Um, I I love what you said about this like intimacy of studying Torah mm-hmm. because I think that's a really powerful idea. Mm-hmm. Like it, you're like diving into something. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. What what about it is so intimate for you? This this act mm-hmm. of studying Torah. I think, for one, the beauty of the language. Yeah. And um, I'm a linguist. I study linguistics um, before I started writing. And I think that language is like the most fascinating thing that there is. It's basically what distinguishes us from other species. Um, it's incredible to me that the human brain can find beauty in language, like that wow. it's something so deeply aesthetic. Um, and that the, this text that we have, these texts that we have are beautiful. And that's, I mean, that's that's fascinating. Like the Hebrew is beautiful. The melodies, they're so beautiful. Oh, like, man. I don't know. Have you ever left a synagogue on Friday night without humming to yourself? I haven't. Yeah. Like. <laughs> I'm sure I have, but like uh, usually. Probably. Yes. <laughs> yeah. But like, you know, the, yeah. the, the sense of like melody and tune yeah. and um, that goes with the language. And even when we read. Torah when we read the mm-hmm. text in synagogue we mm-hmm. don't just say it we chant it we chant it and we learn how to chant it 
um, at a very young age. Like yeah. that does will never leave my brain. Wow. Um, and I think that that that's super intimate. Like that's that's art basically. Wow. Um, and I what think is that Jewish art. Everything, isn't it? Yeah. Like, I really think that like the first Jewish art is is the Jewish literature, wow. like Psalm ninety three, where you know it's about um, how God is even higher than the highest waves in the sea. Um, hmm. Like that, yeah. that it's in everything, and I think it's it's such a like. I mean, it also is the probably the most studied text of all times, but that also shows that you can study it in a million different ways. Wow, and then especially with like the aspect of writing about the Khazan, which is, I mean, that's really interesting to me too, because I think a lot has been written about rabbis yeah. and about what being a rabbi should mean. But the Khazan is like very much in the, in the dark. It's like, you and, know. And especially because it's a role that I think has fallen out of favor in a lot of world Jewry, but not mm-hmm. in Germany. Mm-hmm. Like in mm-hmm. Germany, the Khazan lives strong. You know? Yes. Yes. Germans German Jews love their yeah, love they their love a good chazan. Yeah, yeah. across yeah. the denominational yeah. spectrum, yeah. they love a good chazan. Yeah. Um, so I think that's mm-hmm. really interesting. I also like you said something there, which is so powerful because you're um, you you talked about like oh you can look at Torah in so many different mm-hmm. ways. You know, seventy faces of Torah, so many different mm-hmm. ways to interpret, mm-hmm. and it actually feels like as we're talking about the novel, we're telling you're telling two stories. Mm-hmm. Because you're telling the story of you as a kid going to Frank Lufer, mm-hmm. and you're also telling the same story of you lighting the candles with your parents, oh, with your mm-hmm. grandparents mm-hmm. in Potsdamer Plots. And there's mm-hmm. actually two stories mm-hmm. that are happening there simultaneously, mm-hmm. which is like you're writing a, to- you're right, you know, it's your mm-hmm. Torah, you're and it's a playground. It it's like writing about a 15 year old. What's more fun than that? Like 15 year olds, <laughs> they're so confused. Like. Have you ever met a non-confused fifteen-year-old? No. So it's like you can squeeze all the identity into there, in in there, yeah. and you can also write about, you know, basically I write about somebody that I know very well, which is like a confused fifteen-year-old, and I write about somebody who I don't know at all, which is, uh, like, thirty-five-year-old Cantor. Wow. <laughs> and that's I think, and that's also the beauty of Torah. There's something in in it that one knows, and there's a lot in it that we don't know. Wow. And- <laughs> That's so good. You know, there's this, uh, um, like, we're constantly, there's this Kabbalistic concept of, like, sort of revealing the godliness in the world. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay, it's big in Hasidut and Hasidic uh, Mm -hmm. Judaism. How do we reveal the godliness? Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, one of the big concepts sort of Mm -hmm. in the Kabbalah, in Kabbalah and in the Zohar, is that the godliness is there. It's just, Mm -hmm. we we can't see it. Mm -hmm. And so part of it is removing the layers of the material Mm -hmm. world in order to see the guy. Amazing. That's so beautiful. I have to write that down when we're finished. Yeah. <laughs> Especially since, you know, the Torah is so layered and like in a way it's going towards godliness, but the layers never end because wow. you just put them through the other side, right? Isn't that like Yeah. I mean, like your beautiful Torah school. Yeah, there's a safer Torah in the room with us. It's me, Donna, Woo! and a safer Torah. <laughs> <laughs> so Watch what you say, Jeremy. Yeah. <laughs> No cursing. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was a problem. Mm-hmm. This is an aside, but it was a problem of like, where in our apartment do we put it? Okay. Uh, it, you can never be naked in a room with a Torah scroll. Oh, of course. Yeah. yeah. No, that would be super. Um, and you have two little children. And we have two little children. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> ah! <laughs> 
so that was interesting. So uh, where do you did, do you have like a like a little closet? See, this is the terrible thing about German apartments. They don't have like you know actual closets. Yeah, there are you no just, actual closets. Yeah. Um, we found a solution. It worked. Mm-hmm. Good, good. I'm glad. Yeah. yeah. Um, wow, Donna, thank you so much for joining us today. This was thank awesome. You. So thank much you. great Torah. Is there anything else you'd like to leave us with before you go? I don't think so. I was going to ask you what you think Jewish art is. Maybe if I can like, no, you know, come on. Ping-pong I, back, I, I'm the host. I get to ask other people. Okay, well, good. <laughs> then um, I don't think so. Uh, thank you no. so much. This was great and um, much less terrifying than I thought it would be. <laughs> cool. Well, it was great. Um, for all of you listening, uh, stay tuned for Donna's novel, which is premiering uh, <laughs> in a year or so. In fall of 2023. But fall it's in 2023. German. <laughs> Auf Deutsch. Aber wir warten für die Übersetzung. We're waiting exactly. for the translation. That's, uh, yes. in Thank the English. you. <laughs> um, and we're waiting just for more and more Torah that you're going to put into the world. Thank so. you so much, Jeremy. Thank Likewise, you, um, you are such such an enrichment for the Jewish community that we spoke about and that has become an entirely different place uh, yeah. also because of base, which is absolutely amazing. And you can be so proud of yourselves. <laughs> thank you. I'll edit that part out. <laughs> but anyway, thank you. <laughs> but I mean it. Thank you. All really. Right. Thank you, Donna. Whether you edit it out or not. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's it for another episode of Torah Curious. Big thanks to our guest, Donna Fulving, for joining us. And my apologies for the delay in new episodes. It's been a busy time. Big thanks goes out to Rabbi Rebecca Blady, Valentin Lutzet for the cover art. Alex Segura and Takayasuzawa for the music. Alex Segura and Takayasuzawa for the music. John Earl for showing us where the tension points are in the corners. And our friend in the bay who made this all possible. Stay tuned for another episode of Torah Curious, which I hope will drop in two weeks. In the meantime, keep learning and stay curious. Bye.